Greetings, Amigops and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every <coughs> week, <coughs> uh, by my co-host, Kyle. Kyle is over there just douching it up over there and snarling. Uh, I am also joined this week by a very special guest, a first-time guest, which is a rarity these days. Uh, and I will allow him to introduce himself or Kyle to introduce him or something of that of that ilk. But he is here this week to talk to us about a very important topic. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about horticulture. I'm talking about something else. I don't know what exactly it is, but we're going to discuss this important topic. We're going to debate it vigorously. We're going to rank it. We're going to re-rank it. Probably not. And then by the end of this episode, we are going to have a definitive top 10 list of this non-horticultural thing. So, Kyle, who's our special guest? Thank you, Michael, uh, for that fantastic introduction. We are joined today, as you said, by a very special guest. Our mutual friend, David, is here to talk about a topic. David, would you like to introduce yourself to our listenership? Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm David. Mutual friends with you guys. I am currently dating, have been dating uh, a friend of yours, Sarah, three times, I think, on the podcast. Yeah, listeners know Sarah yeah. well. So, oh, they know her well. They know her, they know her well. favorite food spices. Topics, so. They know how she prepares her eggs. They know, baby. Yeah, they know. So, yeah, so I've had the great fortunate. Um, I think you and your friend group, you guys have been like had a wedding every year for the last some X amount of years, and so I've just been along for the ride, so to speak. So, I think it's important to note, and I'm comfortable saying this because it feels like you guys are going to be together for a while. That if you two broke up. We would still be friends. Like we're, you are our friend now. You're not just dating one of our yeah. friends anymore. You know, there's like that inflection point. It's a big, it's a big moment. I know, I know that feeling, and I remember one of the most special instances of that for me was with uh, my dear friend Allegis. And I'm to this day very self conscious uh, when I refer to her because I will sometimes say my friend Kyle's wife, or like for expedience, because a lot of people know you from the podcast. And I regret it every time and always correct myself and say my friend who also happens to be my friend's wife. So it's like a very, it's a very special moment in a relationship. I think that's the terminology we should be using for David. David is our friend who happens to also be dating our friend Sarah, which is great for us. I think that's right. Yeah. And like small story, I think she first came on your guys' podcast, like right, I don't know if this is going to date me on the internet here, but right, (laughs) right when you got, right um, when we first started dating. Really? And I was like, that sounds like the absolute coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then he learned. And then, yeah. I learned. <laughs> and then he listened to it. And, you know. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, very, very happy to be here. Happy to, uh, to be on here and, you know, have my own top 10 here. So, so what is your social security number? <laughs> yeah. uh, 8675. Three oh nine. Is it nine or nine? Nine. <laughs> There's an e in there. It's nine e nine. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. And and how tall are you? Just out of curiosity. I am six foot five. Um, no, you're not. You're taller than that. I think because you've only seen me with like the the shoes on there or shoes on or whatever. But yeah, I measured flat foot six five when I was uh, I think oh, a senior year. Classic out of shoes measurement guy. That's an athlete for you. That, that's the joke. I, I always tell Sarah is that I kind of lied in our, my dating profile with my height. Is that I put my put my height at like six four because I didn't want to be too tall. And I oh, was that's actually, smart. Actually, six five. So. 
I she rolls her eyes at me all the time about that. <laughs> it's good. I believe that though. That's it's ironic, but it it is smart because I think most people set the cutoff. I think six six is the number that is definitively considered to be too tall by most people. Six five is kind of pushing it, but six six is definitely where it falls over. I think for some people, six four is good because six four you think that guy's tall, but you don't think like that guy's tall. It's not like his identity, yeah, and I think that's, right. I think that for you, tall is not <laughs> your identity, but it's definitely a part of you. And I think one more inch, and it might it might sort of subsume some other pieces of your identity in ways that would not be possible. For you. <laughs> I know, I, but much to my chagrin, because I always wish I was when I was younger. I wish I was going to be six ten, just play in the NBA, and never have yeah. to work one of these desk jobs. So. That's interesting because there's a weird little sort of no man's land where you're too tall for the general population, but not quite tall enough. To you know, reject people up at the rim, and that's where you don't want to be. I think. Oh, we'll see. But yeah, so that that is my now the internet knows my social security number and my height. So yeah. Oh, this is gonna be easy now. <laughs> Say <laughs> goodbye to your credit score. <laughs> Speaking of blocking people at the rim, what is your topic, David? Uh, so my topic is the top ten NBA storylines for the 2021-2022 NBA season. This is. Such a great way in on this. I feel like Kyle and I have struggled with the how to have sort of a an up-to-date sports conversation that has some structure around it. And I think this is a really good framework. I like that a lot. Especially because we have you as a resource. Like Dave, I would consider you, David, to be like the in my life, the foremost basketball authority. Yeah. Without He's definitely our Bill Simmons. Without question. Like I can't think of anyone who I would even like set you up with in my life to have an equal to equal conversation about basketball. Quinn Quinn's pretty knowledgeable. Quinn is Quinn is knowledgeable about everything though. Quinn is, but Quinn like he could yeah, he could go toe to toe with you on NBA, I think, but I think you still have the edge on him and also you have like the background of I don't like you're still playing basketball. Like it's clear it's still one of your passions. Whereas like Quinn is passionate about all sports, but yeah. not about basketball particularly, I think I would say. I think Steve's dad, uh, my brother-in-law's father, could go toe-to-toe with you on basketball, but not because he knows what's going on in the NBA today, but because he would just tell you a story about how he's friends with Dave Cowens, and you just, like, sort of defer to his, his basketball wizardry, but he wouldn't know who, like, any of the people you're talking about are, <laughs> but he'd somehow segue into the time he and his friends took over uh, a ba- outdoor basketball court in, uh, I think it was Laguna Beach, uh, a la white men can't jump. Mm-hmm. And you would just be hypnotized and you'd no longer remember your talking points and he would win. <laughs> is he from Boston? He is from Boston and does get an annual text from Hall of Famer and true all-time basketball icon dave cowens <laughs> and it's a pretty hilarious text because there is a local news anchor's father dave cowens steve's father and steve on this text chain and the only person who steve's father does not address on this text chain is his own son steve <laughs> of course he texts uh the television uh anchor's father and Dave Cowens, and Steve is basically BCC'd there. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, was that the, the first thing I would ask him, I don't know if you guys knew this, but in like the 80s and 70s, the NBA would have like 
10 rounds. It was like the NFL. And so Red Auerbach would always draft like the local Holy Cross kid or like the local like D3. So I'd ask him, like, does he have any friends who are drafted by the Celtics? I feel comfortable saying he would have some stories for you about some guy named like Chicken Legs McGee <laughs> from Dorchester. Like, I'm sure there's a couple of them. Yeah. And the, what I also, this kind of, the origin of this list came from uh, Sarah, my, my girlfriend. She would listen to me say things about the NBA as we'd watch. And there's a group chat at work or she'd be talking to her friends at work or guy friends. And she would just come off like the top rope with this super hot take from me and just like wow them jaws on the floor. Um, so I'm hoping Amazing. like some of these are going to be pretty like generic, but I hope I'm hoping there's some nuggets in here that people who feel outside the conversation at work can be like, Hey, like I'm excited to drop one of these on my boss at work over the next coming days. That's a great call. He's a pretty big basketball guy. And I'm always like, I can talk at a high level, but as soon as it starts to get into detail, I'm, yeah. I'm out. So now I can impress. Yeah. We're not going to be deep cutting like, yeah, this rookie out of like Rutgers, who's like the 13th <laughs> bench man on Charlotte is, it's going to, hopefully this is a good enough level to, you can go a little good. deep and Kyle can uh, get some extra bonus days off from work or something. Yeah. We will not be talking about that uh, third, 13th guy on the, on the Rutgers team. Cause he's now a kick returner for the Patriots <laughs> um, as of, just now. <laughs> yeah, is it actually just this instant? Yeah. <laughs> so shall we? Yeah. All right. um, I do have some honorable mentions, um, if you guys don't mind. Um, do you want to do them right now? or Because we typically do them between numbers four and three on the list. But it's a Oh, that's right. I thought I'm looking like a fool already. Uh, yeah, no, we, we can no. save them. We can save them until later on and uh, talk about this. Though. Talk about that then. So It's up to you. No, let's get, let's get into it. Let's follow the format. All right, get into okay. it. So let's get physical. So number ten, I have what I dubbed Boston's ticking timeline. Um, this is a little bit for. Uh, I really like that for uh, for Mike here. So for those who aren't familiar, Boston has these two players. It's Jason Tatum, Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Like if you were to say, give me two players that epitomize like NBA in the modern NBA: six eight, six nine. It's going to score at all three levels. You can play defense. Can switch. These are those guys. Um, and Boston has always felt like they should have been, they should be better than they like have been in the past. They have a new coach um, who was an assistant coach on the, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Brad Stevens has moved up into the sort of Danny Ainge sort of GM position, and so it's it's really interesting because Bill Simmons always has this thing about young players hit their prime way too early, and I feel like we're kind of in this prime of like Tatum and Brown. And what does that look like? Will they be able to sneakily get top three seed? Will they be able to do something this year? Like they always feel like they're kind of this potential. Um, and maybe this new coach can like figure that out. And there's some interesting bench players we can talk about, but. Well, I think the thing about this is it has, I, I know people have talked a lot about what happens when you kind of swing and miss in the NBA. And I don't want to talk too much about the past because it is a little boring and there's other people who have talked more about it more intelligently than I could, but. This swing in the miss on Kyrie Irving was such a disaster for the franchise because it, it could, it, it, and it's funny because it could have been such a boon because they traded, um, um, well, I can't think of his name right now, the, the short guy. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas. They trade Isaiah Thomas basically for Kyrie Irving, which is like, obviously it's not exactly that, but it was pretty much what they did. And there's a world in which Kyrie Irving is the centerpiece 
and the lead dog and the wily old vet who's leading this young team into the future and it doesn't work. And so you end up having this weird power vacuum where you kind of have these two stars who are not really traditional stars. And like you said, David, they're, they're incredibly talented and very much modern NBA players, but they sort of haven't figured out whose team it is. I mean, it's Tatum's team, but it doesn't always feel that way. And it doesn't always seem like they've got like the right chemistry. Mm-hmm. And it sort of has felt like for the past few years, if they just had one person who could be their North Star, who had a bigger personality, it could sort of help them. And I feel like they're suffering a little bit from their own selflessness and positionlessness. I, just, I don't know what the fix is. And, I, and maybe it is Ime Udoka will just magically find the right you know minutes for everybody and kind of figure out the right combination of bench guys. I don't know. Is this, to me, like, it feels like the baseball analogy, because that's the way I tend to think of these things, or the football analogy is, like, would you with a with an NFL team, I'm trying to think of, an, of a team that's in that position right now where you have, like, these young players and you kind of need them to be performing at, like, an all-star level before you have to extend them because as soon as you extend them you can no longer fill in the rest of the team behind them it's kind of like why it's so important to win when your quarterback is on a rookie deal yeah is that the case with these guys or are they already got have they already gotten their money is that like part of the ticking clock is like we need to win now because as soon as we extend these guys like it's going to be hard to feel the team around them or is it more of just like they're not worried about the contract so much well i, I was gonna say i feel like it's more of a it's getting to the point where they're starting to get a little older and you're and I, Tatum is so young because he came into the league so so young and Brown is still very young too but you're starting to get to the point of their early primes where you you're just wondering is it possible this is never happening with these two as the centerpiece I feel like is more the problem than a contract thing yeah it it's more I mean the biggest thing I attribute yeah I would agree with you Mike the other thing is that they are like very, very good scorers. Things like Brown has only just cut. Like you, you flash yeah. back two years ago. This time he's like in trade piece, like trade machines for Kawhi Leonard and all of the other things. And his like mental, like just getting back to that place of being a good player and shooting the ball well. Uh, the biggest thing that I think other podcasts have talked about is that they're very good scoring the ball, but not being like play makers in terms of like having yeah. it's very your turn my turn sort of thing um, it feels that way when you watch them sometimes which is a bummer because they've been a fun ball movement team for a couple years and the last year or so it is a lot of your turn my turn but the thing is if kevin durant showed us anything last year or even like Giannis, you get to like that level of the playoffs it really you like you want two guys you can get you like 17 feet from the bucket can like get you a basket. So they are those types of players. So it's really, I do kind of think it's more about the Marcus Smart element. Yeah. He's like such a dominant personality. You talk about being this like true North. He's kind of like a, a true North slightly West kind of player. Yeah. That's the problem is he's, he's like West. It's not, it's not what you want exactly. Right. And so if they, like Kemba was supposed to be the solution, if they get a player who's a little bit more, can have the playmaking. And that's why I like Dennis Schroeder. Like, I'm like, yeah. he lost his money this offseason. I don't know if you guys know that story. But 
having I don't him. think so. He he. The Lakers gave him a contract. I think it was like four years, eighty-eight. Oh million. yes, and yes. Then, I forgot about this. And then he they just he said no. His agent said you can play better. And then he like got COVID during the playoffs. Like total like average like twelve points a game. And then like had to sign like a one year four point uh, five million or like a five million dollar deal. But he's like I think he will give him a little bit better like playmaking like organization from that that point guard position. Um, also, I have an Al Horford back. Like he's old, but he can play sort of. Yeah. So I also he's presumably healthy in a way that uh, you know we just never got uh, over the past few years. Right. Like, we just have not. We haven't had health at the point guard position. Yeah. So you know, and there's also like can Tim, can Robert Williams or Time Lord like can he play? Can he be a good you know? Do you guys know why he's called Time Lord? Who is this? Uh, this is their center they drafted. I think he was out of Texas A&M a few years ago, but he's called Time Lord because he he missed his rookie introduction conference because he just like overslept and didn't set an alarm. <laughs> oh and God. he really does not like the Time Lord nickname. It's such a, I feel like it's a cool name though. Like it's kind Except of a, that it's, it is, but it's sarcastic. Like that's yeah, <laughs> laser. Face. It's funny when I first <laughs> when I first started hearing that I assumed it was in reference to his ability to just like dribble out the clock and then score with like a second left i thought that there's like some superpower he had was he could just like wait out the shot clock and then score and then i realized it was just because he forgot it to set an alarm yeah so i i'm more bullish on like this team this year with a new coach new voice in the locker room i like the pieces they've added it's really like can can they as can, can tatum and brown like ascend and really sort of sneakily kind of maybe get into the top three of the Eastern Conference. So, I think so. I think I like your bullishness. I think just some stuff has to fall into place, but I think so. Yeah. One last sort of little clivet here. You guys do know your friends, Dylan and Tatum, friends of the pod, been on here. First time I heard that it's like they were a couple, they were getting married, I kept conflating Jason Tatum. So all the time I would talk, like tell Sarah, like, oh, we're going to go visit like Jason and Tatum. <laughs> Amazing. So I, I still kind of do that sometimes to this day. So that's just a little little clip here. A little inside baseball. I really hope I catch you calling him Jason sometime. I am probably going to call him Jason now. Yeah. Cool. Number nine. Number nine. Uh, number nine. I have the new anti-flapping rule. I didn't. I was. I don't know about this. Oh yeah. So yeah. I I have multimedia Google spreadsheet here, and I can send you guys the video later. But. Please. Last year, pretty much, you can like, you know, as you know in basketball, if you're playing in a game, you can drive and maybe pump fake someone and jump into them and get the follow. follow. I do that a lot because I'm very vertically challenged, so um, <laughs> I have to be more wily around the basket. Uh, but players like Trey Young, Chris Paul, James Harden took this to sort of a new extreme last year. A lot of players did, where if they go around a screen, you kind of put their hand on, you put their hand on them as a defender They'll just like rip through, lean into you, and fire it up. Like, doesn't look like a basketball shot, but the rest will call it. Or like, it Trey, sure does not look like a basketball shot. No. Or like, uh, Trey Young will dribble around a screen, and the player will go over the top, so he'll be behind him, and Trey Young will just like stop, and the guy will like run into the back of him, and he'll just like chuck up the ball and uh, the call foul. And so it was very like aesthetically like not fun to watch, like. It's not, you know, not real basketball shots. And then the guy's shooting 20 free throws a game. The games are four hours long. Like, I'm all for, like, freedom of movement and offensive stuff. But it was really sort of pushing the envelope. 
Um, and so they've really... Well, like you said, the bas- it didn't feel like basketball. Right. That's the part where it gets... That, to me, is part of where I draw lines in sports is, like, does it feel natural to the sport? And, like, you know, pass interference in football, calling pass interference, it's annoying, and I think they should legislate it differently. But at least it doesn't feel like you're suddenly watching a different sport when guys get tangled up. But this, like, the that exact scenario you laid out of the sudden stop to let a guy bump into you and then like just as you're jumping and just chucking the ball, it doesn't, it's not basketball really. Yeah. So they, they, you'd even see in the preseason games, like I think Steph Curry, like step back, shot fake. The guy like kind of jumped sideways to avoid him. And he like threw his body into him and like chucked up the shot. Uh. And like <laughs> they didn't call anything. And we were all, all, I was very happy about it. And it was also something they, FIBA did a really good job in the Olympics. Mm. Yeah. And that's why a lot of our players kind of struggled the first couple of games because they couldn't they Draw weren't fouls like they were used to. Yeah. They they weren't they couldn't get the same sort of fouls that they were used to. So and is the way that they're legislating this through a difference in emphasis, or is there like, you know, they're gonna call offensive fouls now? Or like what are they how are they gonna legislate this? Uh both ways. They're not calling it. Um so if you chuck up a shot, you know, that's almost as good as a turnover, right? Yeah. Um, there also are like, I did see one, <laughs> I did see, I did see one, uh, <laughs> one call. Um, so we have some, uh, involuntary background music here. Um, and that's not a euphemism for a toot. No, <laughs> there was one call I saw with a guy like tried to back into a guy just in like running up the court. Sometimes you see like Manny Ginobili did this a yeah. lot, which I hated growing up. <laughs> but uh, they call, I think they call like an offensive foul on the guy. So it's like definitely a point of emphasis for the refs that like it's a product, right? They're trying to make the product as appealing as possible. And this is definitely, I think, taking that element out. So I'm, I'm very happy about it. It's going to – it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens to the scoring in the league. Like, we're still seeing a soaring explosion, but we'll see if that kind of goes down a little bit as well. Is this a response to a specific, like, group of players that are, are notorious for doing this? Or has this become, like, kind of endemic and, like, a general problem in the NBA? And as such, do you think it will affect certain teams slash players more than others? Yeah, so I think a little bit for your former your first question, I think a little bit of both. There was, like, like Chris Paul did this a ton. And, like, as I was talking about, Tony Parker managed Ginobili and the Spurs. Um, as you know, as a Pistons fan, I, I don't know how deep cut I don't is. remember having, like, any particular thoughts about it when I was, you know, 10. But I remember hating those guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my, my family is also from Detroit. And I grew up, I watched that, and I have a deep-seated dislike of that, that Spurs team. For that reason, Tony Parker managed Ginobili would flop around and Chris Paul does it a ton um, James Harden does it a little bit better he like swings up with his arms and stuff but really it was like Trey Young and like this especially with this like have the guy run into your back and chuck up the shot that was like really the I think a big tipping point and it kind of just proliferated throughout the league people they're like well I can get free throws you know whatever and so yeah so they, this is much a tamping back and Bill Simmons has already made this, this point at a time. Like, FIBA did really, really well this past summer. And, like, can we look to even clean up, like, replays and stuff like that as well on top of it? But I have just, even just this anti flapping stuff, I'm going to be very happy that we don't have to worry about it. So, sounds exciting. 
So going on, well, going on to number eight, um, I have Utah Jazz post-playoff meltdown. Um, <laughs> so a little background story here for those who are, aren't sort of tuned in to uh, the Take Note team um, out west. Uh, but they they went 52-20 and 20 last year. They were like one of the better teams in the league. For those of you counting at home, that wasn't 82 games because it was a I was just going to ask, how many are they playing this year? Are they playing 82 They're this year? They're playing 82 this year, yeah. But if you multiply that, the win percentage, that turns out to be a, a 60 and 22 win team, which is most top seeds generally end up in that upper 50, lower 60 range, um, unless you're the Warriors in 2016. So, and last year, they were up 2 0 against the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and sort of just like lost the next four. You know, Mike Conley got hurt. Uh, Mitchell was also a lot of cobbled a little bit, but they still should have like, Close it out. Like the Lakers, the Clippers were, um, you know, depleted and, you know, they had home court advantage and all this other stuff. Um, and so this is really two things. One, when that happens a lot, like teams will generally kind of break for the next season. Like people just won't be happy with each other. They'll maybe blame people. Uh, the other thing is that like Gobert as like a player, he's like this mat, one of these max, I think his salary is like 25 million, but he's like, not I talked about Jay, like uh, Tatum and Brown. It's like they pity me like modern NBA. He's probably like the the antithesis of the modern NBA. <laughs> like seven one, like has a hard time shooting free throws. Like can't create offense on his own. Like can't guard anybody on the perimeter. Like that's how the Clippers beat him. But he was Defensive Player of the Year last year, and this happens every year. He like is t- finishes top three and then just gets completely played off the court. So Utah Jazz and like. Donovan Mitchell, is he going to leave and all these other stuff? Like, that's like something to keep an eye on. Like, will they be able to come back and get a top seed? Will they be able to maybe stay healthy and all these other sorts of, uh, other sorts of factors here? It's interesting. I've got the roster up right now and, uh, I'm looking at the 2020 to 2021 roster. Who the hell is Royce O'Neill? I've never heard this name and he had the second most minutes per game. For the team last year. He, he actually played in aggregate the most minutes of anybody on the team last year. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually pretty important. He's like a, I think like a 6'6", like shooting guard, small forward. He's like a pretty typical like 3 and D kind of guy. Especially last year, they were very... they were. I mean, it, it, the team makes a lot of sense on paper. Like they're very drive and kick, kind of like mm-hmm. um, shoot a lot of threes, like tons of threes. And then they have Donovan Mitchell, who at the end of game, you know, 17 feet from the basket can get you a bucket. But yeah, Royce O'Neal is just, he's kind of, as I say, the kind of the classic, like, 6'6", like, 3 and D wing player. And he can score, obviously, probably could score on all three of us together. Um, but he's, yeah, uh, for sure. That is for sure. That's just another well, way of two saying of the three he can score on David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see that, um, what was it? It was, uh. It was uh, the White Mamba. What's his name? Blinking right now. The um, White Mamba. I'm not familiar with him. You you should know him. Like Scal. No. Um, Kelly Olenek. Is it? I thought Scal. Scal Green. Scal Green. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He like hosted a competition. Like play Scal one on one. Oh, I heard of this. And yeah. He just yeah, like yeah. obliterated. Even like deep like Division one players would play at Syracuse and stuff. So it's always funny when people think they can uh they can uh play NBA players or whatever. It's funny you bring up Scal because he just came up the other day. Uh, you were mentioning before the pod uh, certain NBA players who think they're quite smart. 
spreading misinformation about stuff. Well, that has been Scalabrini's favorite activity du jour lately. Is he has a podcast or a, or a serious F- XM show where he likes to just just ask a couple questions about <laughs> some stuff, about <laughs> some science. So I, I think you may have said this, but I want to get your your personal just kind of uh, take. Are you a Donovan Mitchell can be the best player on a championship squad guy or no? I think so. I think okay. he's he's got like as I say like he deep three. But like I, I don't when I say I was saying this earlier. Maybe I didn't like I'll like explain it for the listeners. When I say score on all three levels, that means he's able to like. I mean, it's not exploratory, but shoot, shoot the three, able to in the mid range pull up off a off sort of a, a ball a ball screen, and then at the rim, and he's like a competent scorer at all three levels, which is really what you look for in sort of a number one. And so you think kind of like Chris Middleton this year or last year with the Bucks, like he wasn't absolute number one, but definitely like in that mix of like you yeah, know, had a closeout game, he had that shot to close it out in Game Seven. Um, Donovan Mitchell is like sort of that dude, and this whole thing about him like. Him potentially leading um, is also kind of like reporters always like to sort of you know muddy the water a little bit to like see who's the next person who's going to leave and he's definitely somebody that they're kind of looking at and like Dwayne Wade's a part owner to like you know to maybe oh, I didn't know that Tyson um, other things so. so are they do they have a deadline deal that they're going to make uh, to get somebody they need for the team or is this, or is the roster going to be the roster? This is part of the reason I say we should watch them because they start like 12 and 10 and Mike Conley's angle, Mike Conley's like is hurt again. And like, yeah, do you put like Gobert or somebody like on the block to be a little bit more modern in sort of that, like the last seven minutes of a playoff series? The question is like, who would take like a, a Rudy Gobert? Yeah. Um, could you swim? Well, that's a weird question. Cause it could really change this, the NBA for a couple of years. If, if that happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know, could you swindle a Sacramento into taking them for, for somebody? So, I yes. am confident the Pistons could be had here. I think they should call up the Pistons. <laughs> <laughs> they would be, you, you could even make it seem like it was their idea. Be like, don't you think that you want Rudy, Rudy Gobert? And they'd be like, yeah, I think we 100%. do. You know, some, sure. some say Detroit is the Paris of <laughs> South, Southeast Michigan here. <laughs> People are saying that. <laughs> yeah, and the, the 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 Pistons do have a habit of like taking on power forwards who can get hurt. Oh yeah, for long. Hey, and then trading them uh, and seeing them actually play really well elsewhere in the playoffs. Really, in, in, in an appropriate role, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a you know if you're looking for a team to talk about that's kind of off the radar that people don't really find on you know ESPN or whatever. Um, you dodge jazz thinking about like. Will they be able to bounce back from the season? What's the next level for Donovan Mitchell? Certainly has it, but like kind of like Tatum and Brown, like will he be able to ascend to the sort of next yeah. level? Yeah, because the Jazz, like I feel like they, this iteration of the Jazz has always been kind of like in the conversation, but haven't even played in a conference finals, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like I feel like that to me, like that's the benchmark. Like unless you played in a conference championship game, like or a series. I don't know. Like that that was the problem that like the Thunder had, like the whole time Westbrook was there. It was mm-hmm. like always gonna make the playoffs like for sure and then get knocked out before the conference finals. And it's like that to me is like the 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 level like you're saying like leveling up, like you have to if you can get to that point, that's where you kinda start to be taken seriously. Yeah, and there is something to be said about like 
it's one thing to be like a 42 and 40 team. I lived through this as a Bulls fan for many years. And it's like <laughs> losing. The, like you always know you're going to lose. You never, you never realize you're going to, you're never going to ascend or whatever. Um, they are a team I would consider in the upper half of the conference and couldn't make the conference finals. There's something to be said for like always being in the mix and then like somebody gets hurt and then somebody has a bad game and then all of a sudden you're Phoenix and Milwaukee and you're in the finals and you can, you know, yeah. you can, you can, um, what's the word for it? You can, uh, you know, back up, like you verify everything that you've done up until this point. <laughs> I guess the counter argument would be like, that was the exact scenario last year and it still didn't happen. Right. <laughs> like, and, and this, this goes into like, <laughs> they were up 2-0 against a depleted Clippers team. And just like people, because I think because, you know, Utah isn't sort of one of these major media markets, people don't talk about it as much, but like, it was a pretty big collapse from that perspective, especially considering, you know, they left the bubble early. They didn't, they weren't playing until yep. the middle of August, like the Lakers were. And so they had, it was, everything was right for them and they could have, and seeing that matchup against, you know, Phoenix would have been really interesting and all these other stuff. So it will be interesting. This is typically where we do a not top three. Did you prepare a not top three? I have. So oh. I will, I will ask Kevin oh. to, uh, to play that stanky beat. Boom. This is like we've got an old pro baby, and the stank just wafts. <laughs> Analysis from your uh, smells like stanky aquamarine tile. <laughs> oh, it does. Sure does. It actually, I tell you what, you wouldn't think it. Those tiles, they retain smell, baby. They don't smell very good. They really draw the nose and eyes. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Just every sense. <laughs> so the all immersive experience coming to Mike's house. It's sort of like when the Dementor comes towards you and your face starts to like blur and pull towards it a little bit. It's like that. Can you just see like a like an aquamarine like color cloaked like Dementor? <laughs> this is Mike's kitchen tile, by the way, that we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're not talking about the film starring Alexis Bledel. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I have, I have. Also, I don't think she's in that. I think I'm mixing. I'm, I'm conflating uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants with uh, Aquamarine. Who is in that? Is that JoJo? I think JoJo Feels is like in JoJo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not top ten. I'll start with my not not top ten. I'll just have three here. My first one is. The phrase that I always get, I always hear seemingly every year, and it definitely triggers me, is uh, that players nowadays aren't as skilled or fundamental, and the game is getting soft. Mm. Uh, this is my like. That's just a lazy old writer's take to get like two columns out of it. Yeah, like I'm 6'5 now. I probably would be seven feet with the size of my soapbox I would stand on. So, <laughs> like. If you, nice. if you, you can YouTube just old games from the eighties, like hardwood classics and you just watch it and everybody is packed in the paint. They're taking these like 14 foot, like contested jump shots. And every team has like a six, nine, like 260 bruiser who can't shoot and like only plays defense and roughs up the other team. And like, I know I like will admit it was probably much tougher back then and players, you know, talk, we were talking about fouls earlier, much harder. But guys nowadays, they're playing so much more before they enter the league. They're having more sort of personal trainers, more like personal workout coaches. They're playing at these high schools that are basically academies. 
Well, and so it's just like you can just watch the players, and you just you just visually can see how much more skilled they are nowadays. Well, and this is <clears throat> certainly not an original opinion; it's right. something I've heard many times. But like, I think a lot more is expected of NBA players nowadays, like professionally, because it's this era of like intense scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like if you want to talk about like being soft and like being tough, like. Maybe the game has gotten less physical, but that's a lot different than saying that all these players, like, are soft and, like, don't have to, you know, <laughs> put in <laughs> a lot of work and effort to be playing at the level that they are. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm with well, you. The quality that. argument is also just silly. Like, I, I'm, I, as by way of example from a different sport, uh, John Hanna, known as Hog Hanna, I'm looking here on his Wikipedia page. Uh, Sporting News ranked him as the second greatest offensive lineman of all time. He's a Patriots player. That's why I know who he is. He's seven-time All-Pro, Hall of Famer, widely considered one of the greatest offensive linemen to have ever played the game of football. He retired. Let's see. What year did he retire? It looks like uh, 85. He was a whopping six foot two, 265 pounds. So he retired in 1985. Roughly the equivalent of kind of that age of hardwood classics that you're talking about. And the guy is six foot two, 265 pounds. He couldn't even play on an offensive line in the NFL today. Mm-hmm. And was he tougher and meaner? And did he eat more glass than guys today? I, maybe. <laughs> but he'd get eaten alive. It's just progress. Like, progress happens. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. He was great. The new guys are great. Everybody's great. Yeah, and Kyle can see this as I have a picture of it. <laughs> Mike cannot. Maybe I'll put, I'll put it up the camera here. But I have a, I have a little picture of Carl Malone. Um, Amazing. <laughs> working out. And it's just some perspective about, like, Carl Malone was considered, like, the biggest, toughest dude from, like, when he was drafted into, like, the late 90s. Um, and he was 6'9", like, 250. And that is, yeah. like, LeBron James as, like, a skinny yeah. player. Right. Like this year, he's like slimmed down a little bit, and that's like probably what he weighs now. And we, I would find it, not be many people could argue that Carl Malone is more skilled than LeBron James. And so that's, I, this is a huge soapbox for me because I'm just like, and yeah. I'm going to, you know, when I, you know, when I get older, I'm definitely like, I'm not going to say that because I know that like, you know, players are just going to get more skilled. So. I always think eras just change, people. Eras just change. I Kyle and I have talked about this with baseball. Baseball is a, is a very different sport in the sense that it's it's so much more quantified, mm-hmm. and the stats people expect to be so much more similar over time. Whereas basketball, it's just you know there's the shot clock, the three point shot. Like there's so many reasons why people can wrap their heads around the numbers being different. And so it comes down to style points uh, in a way that some other sports don't. But Kyle and I have talked about with baseball, we want to do era-adjusted or year-adjusted statistics. So basically have yourself be a percentage of league average, let's say, or, or a percentile or whatever, however you want to do it. Because, you know, there's years when ERA is, you know, league-wide four and years when it's five, years when it's three, eight, like – it's just the numbers are so big in that league that you could just normalize it and come to a conclusion. The way they work, you, it doesn't quite work that way, but you could do it. It could be done. Like, you could do it. But basketball, especially given the way the game has changed, requires so much, you know, qualitative judgment that 
people just don't want to and they want to do the lazy thing and be like you know i hate the way them youngins play basketball okay cool yeah, I always think of the Mimi with like the Simpson grandpa yelling at the yelling at the clown. Yep, yeah. That's what I always think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, grandpa Abe. So yeah, it's and what what is encouraging is that like I think at the first, the beginning of the 2010s there was this problem where players would come into the league and they would have played so much AAU and they would like their body would break down. And people are saying they weren't learning the fundamentals, which is partially true because you don't have time to practice. But now, because of the proliferation of like private coaches and like we know so much more about the body, you're getting these players nowadays that are coming in so much more polished. They're eating right. They're so much more skilled. They're really on top of their social media. Like they're their own brand already. And so that whole sort of uh, package, I think, is just going to get better, which is just better for the game in general. So, um, so something I don't. It's a definitely not top 10 for me. So, <laughs> so moving on, uh, this is a little bit uh, I, even relevant today. I, I don't particularly am interested anymore about hearing the storyline about like the Nets. Will the Nets be healthy this year? Will they be available? What is going on with Kyrie? Well, what is like it's everybody, and this is very relevant because news happened today. And I was checking Twitter moments before this podcast, mainly because I, I'm like pretty tired of hearing about Kyrie. And we can get into those things or not. Like my position is, if you're healthy, you should get vaccinated. There's plenty of medical professionals, and I also it's hard to hear because I like I love Steve Nash. Like when I was started playing basketball, he was like the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league. Well, um, the Jazz or the the Nets don't really need a coach, right? Right. Just, all, just ask, just ask the players. Ask Kyrie Irving specifically. They don't, they don't. I mean, he's not really the coach. He's just there to like hang out with them. Yeah, and so I just find it so. Kind of boring to be like, oh, Kevin Durant hurts his ankle. Like, he's going to be out for a few weeks. So they can survive. It's like, as long as they're healthy in the playoffs, I think it's pretty, it's an easy storyline. It's like, as long as both of them are healthy in the playoffs, they're going to be very, very, like, good and very, very poised to do things. And so that thing, I'm just kind of like, there's not a lot of depth or nuance to the, to everything. So it just hasn't changed. Like, it's just like, it's been the same fucking thing. Like, can the Nets stay healthy? And it's like, we already know the answer. Like, they're gonna each of them is gonna miss X number of games, and in the playoffs, it's gonna come down to how many games they miss and which combination of those guys can play. And we're not gonna know until that happens. So, like, why are we speculating about mm-hmm. it? It's just like we all know what's gonna happen. They're either gonna win the title because they're healthy, or they're not because they're not healthy. So we just have to wait and see if they get injured. Like, what's the yeah, debate? Like you said it's random. It's not like it's not like, hey, will they peak at the right time? It's no, like, no will we'll, like somebody's ankle roll at the wrong time. I also I want to give credit. I know I shout them out from time to time, but my guys at Sports Hub, Fred Toucher, has been an anti-Kyrie guy for years. And the thing he pointed out about Kyrie that has resonated with me is that he's like a dude who went to like one seminar in college, like one Philo 101 class that blew his mind and then wouldn't shut the hell up about it, but never <laughs> learned any of the facts underpinning it. And Kyrie Irving is such a know-it-all but know-nothing tool. He's so deeply annoying. And the comparison Fred always makes is he's Kurt Schilling. He's like the same guy as Kurt Schilling. He's this fucking dolt who like read one manifesto by some crazy person and now thinks he's like galaxy brained, but he's actually a fool. And the, th- the thing that he was saying recently about Kyrie about the whole vaccine thing is like, I 
personally don't think that the the government is tyrannizing me by making me get vaccinated argument hangs together whatsoever in fact i would argue it hangs together not at all (laughs) but at least but at least fundamentally i can understand somebody having concerns about government overreach like i can i can put myself in a place where i get that again i don't think it's founded based on the public health crisis that we're in all of the facts available to us and you know basic human decency but i can understand somebody saying i don't want the government telling me what to put in my body i get that again don't agree with it in this case, but I get it. And the the weird thing about the Kyrie thing is he loves nothing more than people asking him his opinion about stuff so he can just say like stupid shit that sounds profound but is really dumb. And it's weird how he hasn't taken the cheese on this one. Like he's just, I'm not going to talk about it. But he has no position. I would at least respect him if he had some position on the topic he just won't say anything but wants to be asked about it and seem cool. But he doesn't actually have a thought on this. If he said, here's the thing, I've done my research and I think that you know, big brother government has no place telling Kyrie Irving what to put in his body. And I think that it's the NBA is interfering with my right to work by telling me I need to be vaccinated to play. I'd be like, well, Kyrie, I disagree, but okay, you have a coherent opinion. But he doesn't. And he's just, he's just not interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, he also only spent probably eight months in college. He played one year at Duke. And so yeah. he, he probably like actually did take one class. One, one of, <laughs> and not that like college class is like the end all be all of your education, but just to kind of fulfill, <laughs> push that joke a little bit further there. So. No, but like he could, he could read a book like LeBron James. Yeah. I know he gets like teased for reading like the Hunger Games and people make fun of him for reading like children's books, but LeBron James has clearly taken time to educate himself. He didn't go to college, but he's a thoughtful guy who's yeah. grown up a lot in front of all of our eyes. Like he's he's taken time to try to grow into a fully formed intellectual adult. And, you know, you see that he didn't need college for that. He's just taken the advantages that he has. He has time on the bus to read a book and he does. Mm-hmm. And Kyrie Irving hasn't. Yeah. And he's a jackass. He does. This is always the, the juxtaposition. He does great stuff for communities or whatever. Yep. But, you know, then calls like the media pawns. It's yeah. kind of like these are people who are like supporting your like this whole ecosystem of the NBA and all this other stuff. And so I I like love watching Kevin Durant. I love watching James Harden. Going back to his points, like I, I don't care if they're going to hurt or not. One thing I did want to say is that it's interesting. I think it's brought up so much because I think about like the Celtics and the Lakers in the 80s and like how are the Bulls, like how dominant they were. And why didn't we just have storyline after storyline of, like, will they be hurt or not? And it's because, like, media is now is so, like, instant that you almost run out of yeah. things to say. And now we have to just talk about the only thing we so can true. talk about. So, you know. Yeah. So, I – Sarah, here's the ire I have with Kyrie Irving many times over. So, that's why it lands firmly sort of in my, like, not top ten list. I'm just like, I don't – I want to watch him play. I don't particularly care to hear these storylines or – what I what Kyrie thinks about vaccines, or if he needs a coach or not, or anything like that. So, all right, number three of the of the not tops. Number three. So I went three to one here. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. In this three, the last one I had is players complaining about the amount of games that they have to play. This is like also I can get maybe on a slightly smaller soapbox, but uh, only six eight, not seven feet. But 
just like two reasons. One, they're playing basketball for a living, which you know many many people would like love to play basketball, like love to play a sport for a living. And I'm not like taking anything away for how difficult it is on your body and your mental. You're traveling, all these sorts of things. But it is like you know, we're playing basketball for a living, right? The other thing is that like the easy fix to all this is just to like play less games. You play 72 games. You don't have to have this like that. You don't have to have like two games in a week or something like that. But no one wants to take the haircut on their salary. Um, because that's just like less revenue money to split amongst the owners and the players. So that's why I have very little patience for this, any sort of headline about people complaining about the amount of games. It's like, there's a very easy, you can pay your way to not have to deal with this. Like people take pay cuts at jobs to like have better work-life balance. And so this is, Lands firmly sort of in my, my not top three about players just complaining about the amount of games. Last season was a, a special case. That was very unique. But just in general, I feel like players kind of complain about it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's weird. I don't, it's just an odd thing. And you're right. The, it's, it kind of gets you into the how the sausage is made piece of this under the like how the revenue splits based on the number of games. It's just like, I, I'm really, I'm kind of tired of opening ESPN's front page and seeing things that aren't scores and who played what. And I get it. It, it needs, all this stuff needs to be covered, but I would like to just watch basketball. Yeah. So, so we'll see. I think the league has done a little bit better job at making sure that like star players are playing during star games. But yeah, I, I think, I think we have enough science and they're flooding enough charter jets and all this other stuff that like we don't need to hear about this if you're not going to be willing to to pay out a little bit here so so that's it for our uh, not tops to number seven number seven this is a little bit uh hometown cooking both figuratively and literally <laughs> um but i have the bulls do look as i label it for those of you oh, who don't I thought know it was be their new concessions <laughs> yeah um but yeah the bulls signed lonzo ball who i've been a huge fan of since he was in high school he's just I'm going to gush about him a little bit here, but he's just one of these players that sees the game and just a very different sort of level. And I'm not talking about like, Oh, he threw this behind the back pass. I'm talking about like comes off a screen, takes an extra dribble to like draw the help side defender one step and then rifles this cross court path. So like that's open three, like that sort of stuff. I, I love about his game. Um, signed to Mario Rosen, um, Alex Caruso, they're going to score 140 points a game, um, and they're either going to give up 135 or 145. But this is such like a departure from kind of the like nomadic wasteland the Bulls fan film has been in since like Derrick Rose towards ACL. I was going to say Derrick Rose, freshman right? Freshman year of college. So it, it, it's I'm very excited about everything. I, I think we'll be. I think the Bulls will be sneaky better than they actually are. Uh, so is there concern in this? This is a very high-level understanding of this yeah. that I'm stealing from Ian, who told me. Because I asked Ian, I was like, what's up with the Bulls? Like, a lot of movement, right? And he was like, yeah, but they're all fucking point guards. Like, is is there a positional kind of, like, logjam happening here? Or are you not concerned about that? You, you, if you were to ask me this, like, five years ago, I would say, yeah, probably. But if you look at, like, the Thunder two years ago, the bubble playoffs, they play, like, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Chris Paul, um, and who was the third point guard? O'Shea Gilders and Alexander. That team was like the number one scoring crunch time group, like in the NBA, and they almost beat the Houston Rockets and you know would have maybe challenged the Lakers. So I think there has been this sort of trend for smaller lineups in the NBA. And so you can have a lineup with like Lonzo Ball, like Alice Caruso, 
um, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and like Patrick Williams. And I think that's fine. This is why I was talking about in terms of Gobert being played off the floor. Like, who is he going to guard in that that five? They all shoot threes. They all right. like switch positions. Sure, we're going to give you a hook shot from 12 feet, and it's 50-50 shot, and we're going to come down and shoot 40% on three and blow you off the court. So, um, not I don't think so. And I think DeMar, DeRozan, Lonzo Ball um, are both smart enough to play like within the confines of what they want to do with Zach Levine on the floor. So be fun. I like I, since I've lived here, the Bulls have been meddling a non-factor, yeah. and like I've gone and watched the Bulls play, and it's fun, but there's no energy to it. I don't know. It'd be kind of fun to have that. I'd be. I'm. I'm looking forward to it as a like to me like. I don't notice basketball in this city because I don't go out of my way. It'd be fun to notice it without having to go and look for it. You know, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say is like, I don't know much about what's going on with the bulls, but I know that the NBA is better when they're good. And so it's, I I hope they can kind of become really relevant. Yeah. I I think this guy, I mean, I was like very young when the bull, when the, when the bulls are winning in the nineties, um, you don't really you see a little bit and it's like you see a little bit around, but it's not like you're going to see like bulls like flags flying around. But the yeah. general city is very like united about the bears, the bulls, and so it, it will be it'll be excited like to have like a competent team that we know they're not just going to get they're going to easily score 140 rather than watching a team that can barely score 100 points in the modern NBA. Right, and so that it was just having like something to watch on TV with the bulls is going to be more, a lot more exciting than being like. Playing the game of which college did this guy go to? Having so. a watchable team is like such a <laughs> such a sad thing to be excited about. But for the first time in like five years, that switching to baseball again, the Tigers were watchable this year, and mm. it just makes such a difference. So this will be good. Yeah. So very excited. Um, already trying to figure out where I'm going to go. Um, so cool. Cool. Uh, moving on, to number six, I have the Suns and Bucks bounce back season. For many of you who know, um, Suns and Bucks made the playoffs last, uh, made the, the the finals last year. And the main question with both teams is, did they make the did they make the run because of the shortened season? Um, and there's a little bit of historical pre- precedent here. Uh, in 1999, they had sort of this lockout season where they didn't start till like February 5th and then played like 50 games. So you can imagine like how compact that schedule would have been. And the Knicks, who were an eighth seed and won twenty, they went twenty-seven and twenty-three and made it to the NBA Finals and lost to like a, a dominant sort of Spurs team there. But that that run was very much like a, you know, I think a function of the shortened season and players not being in shape and all these sorts of things. And so you can draw similar parallels to the, the Bucks and the the Suns sort of. Get a few lucky breaks. They just sort of rise above kind of some of the uh, extra extra like extra stuff that was going on. And what are they going to look like this year? Now that one, the the sun, the Bucks have won. Will Giannis go to another level? And two, can Phoenix like Phoenix is no longer going to sneak up on people. People are going to know about kind of what what they're at. So um, I'm, I'm I mean, I think there's legitimate question of with Giannis at least. Like, has he truly gotten sort of the monkey off his back in the playoffs? Because I don't know if the answer is 100% yes. Like, as I recall, at least, he kind of stunk a couple games in the playoffs when he really needed to not stink. And he obviously, you know, rose above it in the finals. But I feel like he still had, and maybe I'm remembering wrong, he had a couple games, at least in the conference finals, where he was not great. 
And couldn't that come knocking again? And couldn't it come knocking at a time when, you know, as we said earlier, the Nets are uh, healthy and ready to play? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my short answer is probably no. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And the parallel is like Dirk in 2011, like finally broke yeah. through, like ascended to that level of just like, I think when he dropped 50 points in game seven and just like close out game, whatever. Dirk and Rick Carlisle was the coach for 10 years. Didn't win like, he won like one playoff series in 10 years. And so I think just so much cachet you get with like winning an NBA championship that like, yeah. He could, he could get blown out for the next like four playoff series and people wouldn't, they would drop him back from the potential he has to be a top 10 player of all time. But like, he, he, owe, he like owes no one nothing. Uh, not that he owed people before, but you know what I mean. I don't think he, there's no arbitrage anymore for him. So I think getting a title under your belt kind of, it's kind of a lifetime thing. Like, yeah. There's like I can't. I'm trying to think of a parallel where like somebody won a title earlier in their, in their career, and then there were questions about them later on. I guess Kyrie's kind of an interesting example. Like he has a title under his belt, and you kind of forget about it, and there are still some questions about like if he's good enough to be number one. But that that's different because that like that like gets whirlpooled into the whole like LeBron discussion, and it's like kind of a separate thing. I think for the most part, if you have, you know, if you've won a title, you kind of get a. Not a pass, but you have a long leash. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. So I'm excited because he's. What? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was just gonna say he's he's one of my favorite players to watch. Just his mentality and how he how he attacks the rim and doesn't care if he airballs a free throw. He's gonna come right back down and like dunk it in your mug. He doesn't care. So, but you were saying something. Well, I'm, were the Suns the one seed in the West last year? No, they were the two seed. So. Yeah, and what were the Bucks? Uh, I think there were. I don't remember last year. But I think my, my point being, like, it's not like these were bad regular season teams that caught fire and, like, took advantage of depleted teams in the playoffs. Like, I don't know. It makes me wonder. But I think it sounds like your argument is that, like, the reason they were able to have such high seeds is because they were taking advantage during the season of, like, these rosters that were mostly playing later than they were the previous year, et cetera, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the Suns beat the Lakers round one. And that was because like LeBron James was coming back from his ankle injury because of this because of the yeah. I think such a short turnaround. And then Clippers were depleted with Kawhi Leonard, you know, Utah Jazz. Like Clippers almost took them to cook them to six. But if they had Kawhi Leonard, like I don't think I think Clippers are in the finals. And the Bucks famously beat the Nets right. with like Yeah. Almost yeah. lost them by I mean this is running by joke, toe, lost right. them by a toenail, right? Um and so I I would argue that they definitely like they were one of the luckiest teams to like not get hurt and then also like were able to cash in, much like the Jazz weren't coming back to the last point there. I love that storyline. Like I will I love a team that wants to prove that they are not the product of a of luck or a fluke. It's kinda like the reverse is happening with the not the reverse, but like a, a similar but different scenario with the Astros where like they really want to win a World Series and prove that twenty seventeen mm-hmm. wasn't just because yeah. they were cheating. And if I didn't despise them so much, that would be like a really cool storyline. Like we're going to prove that we didn't, you know, we're not a fluke. Like we are more than that. And like, I think if these coaches are smart, they can use that as like a really good motivator. Like everyone doubts you, even though you just made the fucking finals, like that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. I think especially the Suns, because the only player that really is going somewhere is like Chris Paul. We'll see what happens with the Bridges contract, contract, and contract. Yeah. But, the only player on that team who isn't like 
there are a lot of that, that core is going to be can be around for a long time. So we can see how how they can use that as a platform. So be fun. Moving on to number five, we have, don't have anything else there. Um, I have sneaky warriors um, as my sort of my next topic. This is talked about ad nauseum. I kind of maybe decide I was debating whether or not to put it on the not top three. A lot of people talk about this, <laughs> um, but. They, you know, they're getting Clay, Clay, Clay Thompson back this year. Steph Curry proved last year that he's all, you know, can shoot the lights, you know, set the world on fire still. But they have this very, like, this huge tension between, like, they have uh, Weinsman, uh, Kaminga, and Mooney to some extent. Like, three, like, if you were to say what team is in the position to give up three assets or three, like, young players to, like, you know, improve their championship window, like, that, there's no better three there. Um, and they kind of did this last year where they were playing a lot of the young guys early and it, it wasn't really working. And then they finally just switched to like, you know, we're going to shoot uh, Curry's utilization up a ton and it's all going to revolve around Curry and they started winning and, you know, late push for MVP. Uh, so this is classic, like, do we, you know, go all in again on this championship window or do we kind of try to develop our young guys? We try to blend the two together. You know, Jordan Poole is coming on very strong, the, the guard from Michigan. So it's it's going to be a very interesting storyline. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm not a fan of Draymond Green, but we'll see kind of how that goes. There, lots of people are picking them to like sneakily win the West or whatever. And but yeah, that's always something to be interesting. Or will they be sort of involved? Maybe trade talks later on to get the mm-hmm. next disgruntled star. Um, you know, if you're Boston, do you trade off like a Jalen for for a Wiseman or a Kaminga and like have these stars and maybe rebuild a little bit or retool on the fly? So I don't know. This is sort of just my thoughts on the Warriors here. I feel like it's possibly because of my limited uh, sports references or possibly because it's the nature of any team that's as good for as long as the, the Warriors have been. But I, I have I see a lot of similarities between the Warriors and the Patriots of kind of the, the early to mid-2000s uh, where every season sort of has its own feel. And as time progresses, you start to draw parallels to previous seasons and I think it's the same with Curry and Tom Brady where there's like, oh, this is the season where he's wired a wire grade. And then, oh, this is the season where he's underrated. Then he comes through in the end. Then this is the season when he doesn't really have it anymore. And it's like the narrative kind of imposes itself on a team that's just kind of consistently good. And I think that's what's been interesting for the past few years with the Warriors is how sort of the external narrative has really shaped how we think about it. And just the order of the season where it's like, is it a build to something good at the end, like last year with Curry, or is it a or is it a slow decline towards something tough, like I think the year before when he was hurt? And I don't know. I it, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the actual room because I think I get the sense that the Warriors, sort of like the Patriots, are an organization that's really not all that interested in what we think, and they do a really good job of kind of staying the course of whatever they want to do. Um, and I. I wonder what exactly that is, to your point, because they do have a lot of pieces, but pieces often feels like stuff that speculators think on the outside, as opposed to an actual team that's trying to build something. Like, they probably look at those guys, I'm guessing they look at those guys as, hey, those could be contributors over the next several years, and like, why would we ever trade Wiseman? Um, you know, I don't want to do a fantasy trade, like, I believe in this team, we have Steph Curry, we'll figure it out, Clay Thompson's coming back, and... So it's, it is interesting. This is a team where I feel like the media narrative and the us narrative collides with the reality kind of weirdly sometimes. Yeah, I will say, though, 
you were talking earlier that the NBA is better when like Chicago is a good team. Warriors historically have been kind of like a the next tier of teams. It is good that like if they are like the least comparable, like they have at least that now they're like a very much like a top kind of a top tier team. So it's good that they are at least coming back. We'll have an interesting storyline. They have a huge new. I mean, it's a Silicon Valley tech hub, and it's good that they are like going to be an interesting storyline. I think that's. I think the league is very much interesting when the Warriors are also kind of a very interesting sort of a team to team to look at. So. Yeah, I just like him. I like Steve Kerr, and I really like Steph Curry, so I'll root for them. And it'll be—it's more. I think it's more fun when when Steph Curry is on the stage and he's playing in big games. Like that's, I think, like kind of the be- one of the better packages that the NBA can deliver. So I hope that that's what happens. Yeah, he's definitely—he's one of like maybe three players in the league where like you get a text that says like Steph Curry's like he's ten for eleven in the first quarter. It's like. He might go for seventy, you know, like that, like yeah. that amount of excitement, which is always good to have, kind of as a, as part of the product. So cool. I forgot when did we do honorable mentions here or after four? after four after four. Okay, yeah. So number four, I have the MVP race. Nothing catchy about that title. What I've really noticed the last maybe five ten years is that like MVP race is very much a story driven kind of narrative, and the one that's sort of brewing this year is that like Doncic is going to make the leap. And the the Mavs are going to be a, a top four seed, and they're going to like do well in the playoffs. And basically, everybody has started to pencil him in, um, and it feels very like 2005, 2006, 2007, like LeBron esque to me. The amount of like um, kind of hype and, and sort of penciling in people have gotten for him. I like zag very hard. I don't think like I don't think it's going to be a very good season for them. One because like they got a few new pieces here and there, like a new like wings shooters. But nothing really to change this kind of like Doncic-centric sort of offense, which we've had very sort of mapped out parallels with James Harden. That like that doesn't do it. I mean, it does win MVP, but um, the main factor is also like uh, Jason Kidd is this new coach. This is the third time he's a head coach, and it's like it's very hard pressed. Someone else made this point. He's super cool and chill, though. He is super. Some things he's had some domestic. No, I'm kidding. It was a joke. Okay. But yeah, so him as like a head coach, like will that how that match and stuff like that. A side note though, if you want to see a, a funny video, you should just YouTube like Jason Kidd timeout like drink. He basically told a player to like bump into him with his drink so he could spill it on the court, and they have to like stop the game and clean it up, and they could get like a free timeout. And they like wait, am I crazy or is Jason? K- I, I think I'm right about this. Jason Kidd is what is crazy about water parks, right? <laughs> That's a, a, he might be deep, more deep cut than I know. Oh, no, 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 this is not a joke. Okay, now this is not a joke. So Jason Kidd is a parent. So last year he was what, an assistant with the, uh, Lakers. was he with the Bucks? Oh, uh, the Lakers. Hold on. There's a, there, because, give me a second. I got to make sure I've got his background correct. Uh, because, um, Okay, so but he was with the Bucks from 2014 to 2018. So yeah, he was a coach there. Apparent, apparently, uh, near the the stadium, there is some big water park. The Wisconsin park, Dells. And he apparently would go to the water park to get, like, lunch. And he was always talking about the water park <laughs> and how great water parks are. And he loves water parks. And they're the best. And, like... Some of the players thought he was like using the water parks to pick up 
like moms and it's not true he's just has this weird it must be a strip like, club called the water park or something no <laughs> no there's like apparently he has a legitimate like weird obsession with water parks wow um yeah he's like a really weird guy well, he's probably so, really excited to be in dallas then have you guys heard of schlitterbahn i'm not no it's, no it's, but that sounds like a great water park it's like it's like a german themed water park and it's I think it's the largest in the country, and it's certainly within driving distance of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And it's a really fucking good time. I went there once with my aunt, who lives in Houston. Oh, he's going to love it. Because actually, now that we're talking about this, I'm remembering a a really weird story about this, um, where he apparently drew a picture of like a water slide he had come up with. And (laughs) uh, like during the game, like like he actually... um, like during a timeout, like drew a water slide, and like the players were like, uh, "What the hell is that?" And he's like, "No, this is my design for a new slide." Like, Coach, you guys think what play cool? should we run? What? No, <laughs> look at just this! Like a, like a super <laughs> weird guy. Uh, so he's definitely gonna love Schlitterbahn. Yes, yeah, so if you think an MVP can be coached by a guy who's just trying to block, I slides. don't. <laughs> like, like Luca. Luca's like, uh, uh, I don't know how he talks, so I'm not going to imitate his accent. But like, Luca saying, like, Coach, I would like to score some buckets, and he's like, buckets, a bucket full of water. <laughs> uh, I don't trust teams that rely for heavy minutes on dudes that are like eight foot tall and whose knees are made of glass. Yeah, it's like. It seems like every year with the Mavericks, it's like, well, this is the year that Kristaps Porzingis is really going to put it together. And it's like, I have news for you guys. It's never happening. Yeah, no, that's that was one of my other, my other points here. Is that, like, your running mate is Kristaps Porzingis, who, like, is just, like, he's become more and more stiff over the years and more and more longer. Like, any big guy who has lower body extremity issues automatically, like, is a special sort of risk there. Yeah, and if your team is not going to make, like, if you're not going to be a top three or four seed, you're not going to win the MVP. Like, it's, it's, it sucks, like, that Doncic is, like, probably his MVP odds rest so heavily on his teammates, but that's kind of how it works, right? Like, you have to be a good team to win the MVP in yeah. the NBA. I mean, Russell Westbrook, when he won it, they were like a... But that was Unless like, he wants to average a triple-double. <laughs> but that doesn't matter anymore, right? Yeah. Because the, the stats are such a... Like, Mike was talking about this earlier, stats are so inflated now. So I will give, if you, this is kind of one of my sort of hot takes here. You want to kind of come off the top rope with your boss here. Um, My dark horse for MVP is actually Trey Young. And I picture this as kind of like Steph Curry, 2014, 2015. Yeah. Where he just kind of lights it up. This group played a ton of quality minutes together in the playoffs. They're kind of like put together, you know, Bucks start slow. Nets get hurt a little bit. I know we didn't want to talk about that while we are here. And all of a sudden, like, you look up and Trey Young's averaging 25 and 10, and they're a top three seed, and they look fantastic. And Doncic's team is, like, you know, a middling six seed, you know. So, that's, well, like... Well, there's, like, stats MVPs, there's narrative MVPs, and there's winning MVPs, and it kind of just depends on how the chips fall. And I think you're right. He's ripe to be a stats MVP, especially if kind of things work out the right way for him. Well, I think also because they're, I think they're also winning. I looked up just... Yeah. On um, one random betting site. And so, like, Doncic is plus 300, 380 to win the MVP. Trey Young's plus 2,000. So, I don't... Also... I, I don't recommend any gambling. I don't subscribe <laughs> to any of that. But just kind of 
giving you a sense of like where people where Vegas yeah. thinks that the odds. Also, Doncic is plus three eighty, and the next closest is Embiid at plus seven hundred. So yeah. like, that, how's that for penciling in? Yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's Doncic to lose, and I think it's actually Trey Young is I think he's he's set to kind of as I keep saying ascend to that next level there. So. It'll be exciting. It'll be exciting to see how, how this sort of narrative plays out here. So so we're going to boogie through honorable mentions uh, on account of our length, but you want what and our girth <laughs> and more importantly, girth. Yes. But what do you want to, what do you want to talk about Dave before we get to top three? Um, I do just want to shout out WNBA. Um, I think we're talking about NBA storylines here, but WNBA is also a fantastic place to watch very high quality basketball. This podcast probably will be out after the WNBA finals, but the sky are in the WNBA finals playing against the Mercury that has, I think Mercury have an Notre Dame player on their team, Ooh. but we're ready for the sky. So, um, so I just want to shout out like, again, high quality basketball. People should check them out. It's a great thing to watch and, and sort of, and sort of the, the compliments sort of also and, and sort of supplement to, to watch alongside sort of the NBA and stuff like that. So make sure you support. I feel like I've been hearing a lot of good things just like very recently, even just like the last year, year and a half about the quality of play in the WNBA. I feel like I've historically heard like, you know, a lot of people on TV being like, oh, yeah. But I feel like I've actually heard some people more recently like I'm really enjoying the, the product lately. Yeah, I think I think the quality of play has state this like it's it's been this high quality all the long time i think that WWE yeah. is finally getting its recognition and finally starting to yeah. get long way to go i think they're i think they always should you know should be giving more money in that area like we me and sarah went to a game and it's just it's a great time it's like it feels a lot more like a like a big party with everybody around um because yeah. arenas are smaller but yeah high quality high quality basketball you know good production that are getting better production so just want to make sure we acknowledge that the WNBA is out there on uh, other sorts really good sort of storylines and um high quality basketball players and high quality athletes so excellent dig it all right uh so we're gonna be veering into the top three here number three i have uh rookies uh this year I'm not very creative title, but um, <laughs> long, long time ago, I was very sort of big into like high school drafting and like all this like finding top players and, and recruiting and things like that. This year, this 2021 draft, the top three players could have easily been number one players in a lot of other, maybe not the Zion draft, but like a lot of other, mm-hmm. a lot of other drafts. And so that'd be exciting to watch. Like we have a very tight rookie of the year race. And the other sort of thing that's kind of circling is that the number two pick, Jalen Green, played in the G League um, instead of playing in college. This was sort of the first pilot season of that. Yeah. And the number one pick to the Pistons, Kyle's Pistons, was Cade Cunningham, who played at Oklahoma State. And so you kind of are going to have this dichotomy of, like, what is better for a person's development, um, you know, the G League versus college, you know. The classic sky is falling is just the death of college basketball and all these other sort of storylines. But it'll be very interesting to see kind of what what happens um, sort of along those storylines. I'm looking forward to Detroit versus Houston. That rivalry, I feel like I hope that that becomes like a rivalry because you've, I'm, I know you're aware of it, like the stuff that Jalen Green said about like yeah. glad that the Pistons didn't draft him and shit like that. So I don't know, like that as a person who doesn't follow the Pistons like pretty much at all like I'm interested in this rivalry now and uh I will be watching those two rookies very closely I the people I know that are big Pistons fans are like 
like can't speak. They're so excited about Kate Cunningham. Yeah. So that should be fun. Yeah, I I mean, Jalen, you also said it like if he played in college, he'd be the number one pick by by far as well. Yeah. He has some argument because the competition he was playing was like way higher. And these well, are like NBA caliber players. I'm a little bit like not as high in Cade. I think he he was a six eight kind of guard in high school and then in college, which you're gonna dominate a lot. Kind of Michael Beasley vibes. Um but we'll see. We'll see how it does. I and mean, I'm I'm happy that I'm happy that Detroit Growing up with like the Chauncey Billups and the Rip Hamiltons, I'm happy that Detroit has finally some, some things just kind of be excited about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of storyline will kind of perpetuate per- per- the, the league here. Yeah. Um, that'll be fun. Uh, so, Mike, if you don't have anything, I'm going to sort of slide in number two here. Let's hit it. Um, I have stars on the move. Um, I think we're just only, I have three guys who I would, I would kind of look at, like Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard, and and uh, and Bradley Beal, but I'll talk a little bit just about Simmons. Um, I think that's yeah, the it. Simmons thing is very interesting to me. With yesterday or two days ago, that news. I wrote this list two days ago, and then I was like, yeah. "Oh man, like <laughs> this changes things here." So, yeah, I, I, I think I think Simmons and B should be broken up for both Thursdays. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff about what trades. And I can maybe talk about a little bit some trades I'd like to see. It is. I will also say the other line is that this is very much a watershed moment in like player empowerment to like sign a five-year $177 million deal like Simmons did and then ask to be traded then ask to be traded to only specific themes is like <laughs> the like like what Anthony Davis did was like okay because he was like giving the team a few year runway but like to sign and then say I'm out is like as I say a watershed moment and really sort of a lot of a league is definitely watching this very closely so, Although there's a lot of precedent setting potentially happening here, right? Like this kind of, the, the, like a lot of players, you know, people probably just watch this and see how this thing works and then, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, Simmons is just such a weird player in that he just has such a strange skill set that's just so unusual. And it's I feel like a little bit about what you were saying in the last one about rookies and the sort of G League versus college thing. I think there's always a danger in trying to establish a precedent based on a really strange set of facts or even just a small sample size. And like the, what is the bill, the Ben Simmons situation say about the NBA thing might say a lot less about the NBA and a lot more about like one really kind of weird specific dude uh, who's so afraid of shooting that he passes out of a layup and has been beat to shit by a fan base that's really tough and is teamed up with a guy who he's not a good fit with. And, like, it might say more about that than about, like, the state of the NBA. Yeah, but I do think there is a precedent for, like, single moves who are precipitating, like, LeBron like LeBron in 2010 precipitating, like, Durant in 2016. True. Or, like, into, like, I think... And there's like this slow march of players asking out of contracts early, um, like Anthony Davis and, and those other things. And so this is like, I understand there's all these other confounding factors about the Sixers and Ben Simmons. and But a lot of the through line is also like Rich Paul and Clutch and like what power does he have and all these other things. And being able to kind of break this tension of like, do I sign a long-term contract and like lock in money or do I sign a short-term contract and have freedom to move where I want to be? And players are almost like this potentially breaks that sort of paradigm. Um, so it, it's interesting for a number of different things. And I like to see him being traded. I like to see him being traded. 
potentially to Denver for Michael Porter Jr. Just because they, he signed a huge contract and stuff. But it is really just a very, very interesting situation. And I, I hope they get traded for both their sakes. And that kind of opens up Philadelphia to be a little bit more of a contender sort of in the, in the East and challenge Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee. Um, so without further ado, I'll sort of go to my number one. That's all right. Let's do it. And this might be like a number one, not top 10 for some people. Um, <laughs> but I have LeBron chasing the, the host. <laughs> Ghost of G-H-O-A-T-S-T. Because if LeBron, if LeBron wins again, like I think, and this is another, this might not be a whole other topic, but I think LeBron is better than Jordan already for numerous reasons. I think if he gets his fifth ring, that just marches the line further and further closer to like reduces the number of naysayers. All sorts of like interesting stuff going on this season with like Westbrook. How is, he, how is his space going to be? Um, how was like Taylor Horton talking, like fitting in sort of the Alice Russo role? You know, was there, you know, are they going to be old enough? Are they going to like be healthy enough throughout the season? All sorts of interesting storylines. And then one sort of small tidbit here of just the thing about LeBron sort of longevity is that he's going to play two guys this season, Zaire Williams on Memphis and Brandon uh, Boston Jr. on the LA Clippers, who played with his son in high school. Whoa. Oh my God. So if that gives you any sort of identity of like longevity, which is part of the better than Jordan argument, that kind of, I, that's a nice, nice little tidbit I saw sort of the other day on Twitter. So um, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm, I kind of root for LeBron, not as like as hard as ESPN does, but I definitely like, I'm a very <laughs> sort of like uh, LeBron sort of fan here. So love or hate LeBron, like, He's really, really fun to watch, and his whatever he does is going to interest you in some way, mm-hmm. either because it pisses you off or because you're cheering for him. Um, I, I think he's such an interesting player because I've been on both sides of that. Like in 2012, I fucking despised him; like I couldn't stand him. But that was 10 years ago, yeah. And like to like to watch him now, like you know, he's like really transformed his career. Like I, this has been talked to death, but like the the fact that like his career has had had so many segments and this is a really interesting kind of like like portion of that yeah. I'm, I'm excited to watch it and i think appropriately this is probably super high on the list because of all the things we've talked about this is one that like when it comes down to it like i will probably be watching mm-hmm. those games at the end of the year and i'm you know i i think it's i, I that's really fun like it's also generational like he's a generational player right and like a lot of these other storylines we've talked about like they have parallels or you know like similar similar things that happen like this with relative frequency but like it's lebron and jordan like this has only happened once before right and so you know these are kind of things that when they're happening in real time you have to appreciate them yeah so i know mike Um, is someone who's uh also a fan of a Another player in a sport who's done, who's dominated a sport for so long. So I was there? naturally going to bring up some comparison there. I do want to first say, uh, well, ask Kyle. Did I ever tell you where I was when the decision happened? I don't think so. I had sort of a fun experience with that because I went to a, um, a summer like one week long um, sports industry management camp at georgetown which was really cool because i want that's what i wanted to do growing up was i wanted to be like a sports agent or a sports exec i'm sure like everybody 
And my mom thought I needed some extracurriculars for college, so I went to a week long camp at Georgetown. Uh, they've got a sweet. that's so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. Like a super well regarded sports industry management program there uh, that you can actually get a degree in, and they had like a summer camp, and it was basically like me and that guy John from New York, who we really like. Uh, just like me and a bunch of guys like him. And I was there when the decision happened and somebody had like a phone that you could actually watch videos on, which was pretty unusual in 2010 or whenever it was. And, uh, I just sat around with all these people and they all had these incredibly sophisticated, fiery takes in a way that I just didn't at the time. I was too young to like be interested in takes. And it was just, it was a very funny experience. So you just reminded me of that, but um the lebron the lebron thing i think similar to the brady thing is this weird distillation of all of the contradictions and weirdness of comparing people across generations i think the thing that's weirder about basketball than about football is that there's not really positions there's like a basic distinction between forwards and guards and a basic distinction between big men and and smaller guys and so like the big men just get sort of lumped into a second tier. Uh, but you're basically being compared against everybody. Whereas in football, I think even people who recognize that Tom Brady is the go as far as quarterbacks go, they still at least allow for the possibility that Jerry Rice could have been a better player. And that those two things, like people kind of just say quarter best quarterback means best player uh, as a shorthand, but there's still an understanding that what Brady does is totally different than other positions. And in basketball, you don't have that. And oh, by the way, you've got this weird generational thing where, you know, you just have a really different game to compare to in the same way that you have in other sports. And so I think having that extra layer of everybody gets compared to everybody makes this weird, like, stew of comparisons of players across generations like even more futile in my opinion at least and as much as i think brady is unquestionably the greatest winner of all time i don't i I don't actually think he's the greatest player of all time i don't like i don't really even think he's all that close exactly and in basketball it's just it's so much more confusing because you don't even get to fall back on the position thing. And I don't know. I, I think I just, all of that is just to say, I wish we could just appreciate that LeBron is great. Jordan is great. I like the, I like the like barstool debating, but is there an actual answer? Like, no, in my opinion, I just like, I like, I like the narrative it imposes on the player. Like, I like that it fuels him and gives us a way of talking about his career. That's what I like about it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I, I agree, like, appreciate the generation you're in. I also, like, want LeBron to get his fifth so, like, people don't come after him as much as they do. I mean, I know people will always come after him. But if he can just put up this irrefutable argument, it's people like can't come after him. I guess is also one part of the part of the the storyline here is that he has five rings and MVPs and you know X amount. Of but years. like weirdly, they will. It's like this weird elusive thing where they'll be like six and zero. Oh, Jordan never lost in the finals, and then you come after them with the logic of yeah, but part of that is because he didn't make as many finals, and 
they won't listen. And it's like this just I, – I saw it with Brady. It wasn't until he so massively overpowered the argument against him by winning number six. It's like, what are we talking about? This is like a weird discussion of different eras. The 49ers didn't have a salary cap, and there was no free agency, and they just signed all their guys. So why is that fair? But, oh, by the way, Brady's got Belichick. And we're like putting all these weird variables that have nothing to do with these guys into a stew and trying to decide who's the best one-on-one. It's If somebody wants to argue against you, they're just going to. Yeah, I think... I think those are definitely people who I think are the loudest. I might think more about <laughs> myself. Like in 2010, I didn't think LeBron was better than Larry Bird, like as a forward. But in the next 10 years, like I've like moved my position. So I think it's more for people like us who think about these things a little bit more, less loudly. <laughs> than, <laughs> That's a small cohort. The cohort of rationality is small and shrinking. Yeah, yeah but you, you know what I mean, though. Like the people who aren't, just not yeah. just the Twitter sort of figureheads. That sort of thinking. So I, I think that's more the audience that I, I'm hoping that LeBron can convince that, you know, he, he deserves his place that. in history and his sort of, um, as I say, his like, his, his place on the pedestal on Mount Rushmore, um, as I think I've done as I switched into that position the last 10 years. So it's crazy to think that it was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think oh, I misspoke. Shit. I said 2012. The decision was 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. 2012 was my first one. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The first heat one. Awesome. Well, I love it. That's a great. That's a great last thing uh, to talk about. And this was a blast. Yeah, I really like, you this. haven't. Well, you should send this to him when we're done. But the preparation that David put into this is astounding. This is like a five-page outline, complete with like gifts and like charts from Basketball Reference, and just like all sorts. Of, like we talked about, I don't know, a quarter of the bullet points you have on here. Like just a lot of prep, and it really shows how much you love basketball and also your ability to research and discuss it so thank you for sharing that with us no, yeah, thank you for enjoy- sharing the gift yeah no i'll send that to you mike and you can watch there's some video links as well if you want to watch trey young flopping all over the court and stuff so there's also uh yeah nba 75th video you guys should both watch and listeners of podcast should watch it's really cool so but cool that was great uh thanks for doing this and we're looking forward to having you back on quite soon um if we can so yeah, I appreciate it. So, I don't think we necessarily need to recap. Um, do you want I don't to- think so. I was feeling the same way. Yeah. So, any last notes, David, before we adjourn? Uh, go Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're go with back. you. Chica, go Bulls. <laughs> and go Scott. That means, I'll say that in as Spanish, well. that means young, bull- young girl, go Bulls. <laughs> yeah, so I, as I said, I'll say go Sky, go Bulls here. Oh, yeah, go Sky. All right, I'll do thank yous because that's important, but we can skip telling people where to uh, listen to this podcast if you want, Mike, because they're already yeah. listening to it. I will thank Kevin McLeod because I think we kind of have to. And also, he's so stanky with his not top three music in the intro. So thank you, Kevin. Hasn't thank showered you. in weeks. Yeah. And thank you to my sister, Erin, for our artwork and all the work that she has done for this podcast. If you want to see more of Erin's stylings, Sant Design on Instagram is where to go for that. And thankfully, Sant yeah, Sant Design is a randomly uh, chosen right. name and does not indicate a shared last name with nah, Kyle. Our voice that. Uh, and similarly, I would uh, thank our social media coordinator Caroline Labranti Giuliano, who also came up with via a random name generator <laughs> name for her social media accounts. Uh, 
which you can find at Caroline Giuliano Photography on Instagram. Check it out. Like it. Send her checks with that name on it. Again, totally made up. <laughs> Just send her checks with that name on it. I'll cash them and pay for travel to see these guys. So I think that's about all there is to say, my gents. That's it. Great work, amigos. That was uh, Yeah, David, thanks so much. This was great. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. All right. We'll see uh, you next time. Peace. Oh, chef's kiss.